welcome back, everybody. This is Randy, uh, and I'm here with Howard Swig and Zach Beatty here at HQ. Fellas, how you doing? Good. Thanks for pulling me off the bench and bringing me back. You bet. Zach's here for his second one, and Howard's actually just fresh back from a week-long driving event that we're going to uh, hear about. He was on the Calmele, his uh, personal and family event that has now evolved into a new type of driving event. He's going to give us a little bit of uh, feedback on what that was like. And then we're going to talk about a couple other events that are coming up really soon. We're pumped because events are starting to happen again um, as we come into summer and people are driving and doing stuff, which feels great. And then we're going to talk about um, an interesting topic on BAT, which is uh, tribute cars, clones, and replicas, and all the different stuff that's going on in that space. Um, from brand new Astons coming out of the factory again with new stampings to uh, obviously the big names in that world, things like, you know, Beck 550 Spiders um, and, you know, the, the differing world of what is a real Manx uh, buggy versus the hundred different other types uh, and everything, the Shelby clones and, and everything that's out there and the kind of words we use to describe those and also just some of the kind of cool stuff that's floating around out there. Uh, we've seen all sorts of submissions like that, so we can talk about it and we've owned a few of them. So uh, first up, Howard, tell us about uh, the California Mule that you were just back from and what it was like. Yeah, so this was my first event since, uh, first road rally since 2019, um, the California Mule. This is an event that uh, my family has started and is still involved with. This was the first year that we've uh, kind of transition, transitioned stewardship uh, to Haggerty, um, and it was so great. You know, th their whole mission is to save driving. And I joked on the event that uh, the event was really saving driving for me personally. I've been hammering away at BAT for the last 18 months. Um, and it is great to uh, remind myself about the hobby side and why we're all doing this and, and all the fun, great things you can go out and do in an old car. Um, so this event, for those who might not be familiar with it, is for pre-1957 cars that, you know, would have or could have run in the Millimilia. Um, it's a thousand miles over four days. Uh, this event, uh, the route was in Northern California, so it started um, in the Bay Area in Sausalito. First night was up in Mendocino at the Little River Inn, um, which uh, is a great spot in the little beautiful hamlet town of Mendocino that this event's been going to since the first year, 1991. Uh, second night was in Reading. Um, unfortunately, we couldn't go over Highway 36 because of road construction, but we went over 299 for the California listeners who actually know what these roads are, some of the really great driving roads in the far north of the state. Um, and from Reading, we headed south to Yountville with a stop at Thunder Hill Raceway. Uh, where some of the cars got to turn some laps, which was quite a sight to see these cars circulating around. Um, but no, the event was awesome. Um, about 50 cars. Uh, I was driving a little Giulietta Spider Veloce Alpha. Um, this year, we definitely had a uh, oversubscription, I would call it, of, of Porsche 356s, uh, 18 of those in a field of 50. Um, but it was still great to see everything under the sun, speedsters, coupes, four cams. So, um, it was really a who's who of the uh, 356A Porsche world, uh, both cars and people. Um, so not to put you on the spot, but what was your favorite car in the event? Um, yeah, so there were some really awesome cars. I can run through some of those. There were two Lancia D24s, which is pretty remarkable because I believe there's only six in the entire world that exist. 
Um, so it was pretty, it's pretty special to see one of those out in the wild, not to mention two. Um, so yeah, that 40% was 40% of the uh, market on those cruising around on the event for the weekend is pretty strong. Yep. And th those guys were driving hard and definitely enjoying those. Um, what else? We had, uh, two really special Maseratis, uh, both A6G models, uh, a Zagato bodied car, um, and the A6G 2000. That was some of you may remember the, uh, the French Bayon collection, um, that sold a number of great, uh, 50s sports cars. This was in that collection. This gentleman purchased it out of Europe and has done our event uh, now a few times. Um, a guy from LA brought his long wheelbase Cal Spider, um, which was pretty neat. Uh, I mentioned the Porsches. Uh, this event is typically, um, you know, the popular cars are 356s, Alphas, uh, 300 SL, Mercedes, uh, DB2, Aston Martin. So uh, kind of a smattering of all the uh, kind of stuff you would expect to see. But um, it was really great. Uh, people really prepared their car as well. I think we had two or three cars that dropped out on the first day, but um, pretty remarkable reliability on the rest of the event. I think 40 or 50 cars started and 45 or 46 finished. Um, so I think most drivers and organizers would take that uh, finish ratio any day of the week. And what um, was the oldest car on the event? Do you recall? Uh, the old, good question, Zach. Uh, typically, there is a meaningful amount of pre-war cars. This year, not so much. Mm -hmm. There were, I think, only two pre-war entries, a guy in his... Uh, uh, SS100 Jag and a guy who was a real sadomasochist in a uh, pre-war Bentley with kind of a cool kind of speed Brooklyn's body on it. He's um, a he's a regular attender, right? He is. Yeah, yeah, yeah thousand yeah. miles. And we can know that car is pretty ridiculous. Yeah, a guy named Doug Whiteman. If he's listening, uh, 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 big props to you. You're my hero, um, and 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 your wife is super cool to uh, to go along with you in that. We actually we actually ran with him on a number of days and. Uh, man, I felt in our little alpha, we were going to a pretty good clip and I'm looking at the rear view mirror and, and Doug's back there. We live in that Bentley and, and not losing much ground. So, um, you know, definitely uh, great to be back. I feel like events are back. Certainly uh, having just done this one, I'm, uh, I'm all fired up. And uh, yeah, Randy and Zach, now that I've given my expose on, on the Mila, I think you guys were chatting uh, today about events on your calendar coming up. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm not going to let you off the hook that we're going to talk more. You can't just drop all those names and cars and then be like, yeah, we're done. Uh, it's like super all-star team. And I love talking about that event and you doing it and being part of it and, and its future, frankly. Um, yeah, we are going to um, seek out a couple things. And, and honestly, I just had a funny conversation with my wife just today talking about like getting back into events like this. I haven't done a car event in a long time because of COVID. And so... Like there used to be this drumbeat come holiday time. It's like, okay, start getting your car ready because the snowball rally's coming and then the summer rallies are coming and then things are happening. And that we've been in this weird limbo of the cars not needing to be ready for anything. It's cool to have them out and cool to take them up for, you know, a ham sandwich up the road or whatever. But the, but the, um, the two and three day event that were such a part of my life for a long run there uh, pre-COVID, those would get you kind of um, sort of primed for the year. It was a it was a major milestone. You had to be ready. Like if you signed up and then your car wasn't ready, like uh, you kind of blew it. So I feel like that kept me in the garage, kept me turning wrenches, kept me coordinating schedules with other staffers here at BAT that were also running stuff. 
Do you yeah. remember the first event you did, what year it was, and which one it was? I did. The first real organized one was called the California Melee, which is like the super low buck, scrub, uh, fun, dirt road version of the California Melee. It's almost done in, in, uh, in um, sort of a hat tip to the California Melee, but with people with 200 bucks in their pocket. It's the In-N-Out Burger of the California Melee, right? Pretty so much. There was, were no, if they're the filet mignon, yeah, totally. Yeah. Like it's 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 uh it's scruffier cars and and lower dollar, lower barrier to entry. And I, interesting, you say this with all the 356s on that one. My buddy Pete Stout and I took my uh kind of rough 356 on that in 2006. I just had a, a clutch put in it by High Tech up in San Rafael, and it was running great. That was the Silver A? Silver 356A, and it was so perfect uh, in my mind for that sort of an event, And but it was not so clean that I wouldn't drive it on dirt roads and really get after it, right? And we took it, and we took it up to Napa for the first for the Parkville not the Parkville grade. What's the grade? Oakville grade. The Oakville grade over there. And somebody, we were turning around to help somebody or do something. And I pulled into some deep, uh, like, off-camber weird driveway and almost tore the muffler off the car at, like, day one, mile, like, 42 of a three-day event. And uh, on a 356, as you know, that pulls the muffler off of the exhaust ports. And so I had an exhaust leak that we nursed for the rest of the way. The car was so perfect uh, in terms of how it was running right out of the shop. And then I goofed up and did that. And so we had to uh, sort of hack that thing back together and run it for the rest of the event. And we did. But we were underneath it in a parking lot that evening and, and doing stuff. My buddy Pete was a very good sport to to go in sort of a door slammer 356. Very different than the cars on Howard's event. That's probably the best part about the event, though, the parking lot scene. You're not the only one under your car, and people are feeding you Pacificos while you're down under there. Totally. I mean, our flavor of events uh, are sometimes like that. I know, even though that's true. I mean, Howard's event, right? I mean, there were people wrenching on cars in parking lot. I saw the first day there was some super cool social media stuff that both Haggerty was doing really well and other um, just attendees were doing in cool ways. That's I was really wishing I was on a Cal Melee with Howard just because it was done so well. And uh, yeah, there was some guy with his uh, XK Jag with like all the wheels off of it in the, in the swanky hotel parking lot. And I was like, what is this guy doing? I guess he was replacing brake cylinders or something. I don't know what he was doing, but that, that happens to the cheap cars. That happens to the expensive cars, right? Uh, absolutely. And of note, actually, two, um, two entries that were bought on Bring a Trailer on the event uh, talking about uh, across the price spectrum, one was uh, the 300SL Gullwing that we sold to launch uh, our premium auctions back in May 2019. The gentleman that uh, bought that car on BAT, who reminded me that he was actually bidding from the beach in Normandy um, in France at the time and was just hoping for a good enough internet connection to get his bid in. Um, he prepared that car for the event um, and drove it all a thousand miles. Um, and it was awesome to see that car uh, go from uh, here in the BAT office to doing a, doing a major event. So that was uh, great to hang with him. And on the other end of the spectrum, a guy who bought um, an F57 MGA, uh, the only MGA on the event. Uh, he was rocking the white walls, which I appreciated. Um, another cool young guy from SF. So uh, it was nice to see some of the uh, BAT alumni taking the, taking the Italian flag at the start. Absolutely. Not the green flag. I think we need to on the podcast get uh, get the owner of the 300 SL uh, that he bought on BAT on here. His name is also Howard, uh, interestingly. But he um, 
the story of the buy of that car is totally crazy. He was in Europe on the on the D-Day anniversary. It was 75 years since D-Day, and he was there with his wife, like celebrating that. And he's walking around over there buying a German car while they're having this like uh, allied celebration of World War II. He said there were super weird vibes about the whole thing, but he was stoked on the car and wants to take it to Europe and said when he was buying it, one of the reasons he was buying it is he wanted to do the California Relay. And now he just lived that dream and he's also run the 300 SL rally. Anyway, I'm not going to steal all the thunder of that story, but um, he is a very interesting fellow and yeah, still holds the record, right? It has the cat walking across the keyboard winning bid, right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven was uh, was the winning bid on that car. Uh, and when he wrote the check for it, he added 89 cents. So it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven and 89 cents. Uh, interesting, interesting BAT uh, um, buyer for sure. Anyway, we'll get the whole story uh, another time. But yeah, cool that he was on there. MGA, wow, that is the other end of the spectrum. Um, and, and awesome that cars like that can be on the event since they're the right year, right? And you sold him a great car. He completed the entire event without issue. He wanted me to tell you, Randy, that he did some minor cosmetic work. Um, I think he put in a one, two, three distributor, which I think he was chatting with you about some other, uh, you know, drivability and reliability uh, upgrades or changes. But uh, no, he's thrilled, and I think he's planning to do many more uh, thousand mile drives in that thing. And it, it's, it's certainly up to the challenge. Yeah, he's saying they put AC in it, take the sawzall to that baby, and yep. put AC in it. I wonder, I wonder if he did it. Uh, who knows? And honestly, if you're going to do more driving, that's it for that dude for having that car out there, putting miles on it. It's a fun car. So, Howard, how are you feeling after a thousand miles in the Julietta? Uh, I was feeling good. I, I was probably feeling more relaxed than the gentleman who brought maybe one of my favorite cars, which was a Lamar Works uh, 54 or 55 Triumph TR2. Hmm. Uh, I think this thing finished like 14th overall, 55 Lamar race. So not too often you get um, a really legit history car like that. And uh, driving a TR2 on uh, any rally of any distance is an accomplishment, much less uh, this event. So um, that was that was neat to see. Yeah, and we should also mention like events like that, be they the Calvillet or other ones. For me, it was always crazy, right? Like just the barrier to entry. Like I never thought I was going to be able to pay the entry fee, but I've always been sort of hanger on and go to the beginning. They're very warm. You can see the see the cars at the start. You can see the cars sometimes along the route, if you can suss that out. And now social media really lets you follow and be sort of a fan of what's going on. And typically the owners are pretty cool if you're cautious about how you approach and are respectful and, and thoughtful. Um, I mean, you can see a Tour de France Ferrari 250 that you're, you know, I mean, that's just like an unbelievable piece of history that is uh, just parked there at a you know, nice hotel in the area. Parked next to a Honda Odyssey. Totally, I mean, brave, that is bravery. So I, I kind of grew up going to Howard's event well before I knew him, just going to the start and the cool fanfare that they put on in San Francisco. Uh, it was like on the calendar every year for my dad and I to go check out all these cars. And now I get to know Howard and hear his story. I've always just been so stoked to have him on our team just because, I mean, the, the uh, history he has with that event and hands-on experience um, is is uh, incredible. So anyway, cool stuff with the Camille. I'm really glad they're doing it. Really glad Harry has gotten involved and is going to you know carry that torch forward. Uh, I think everybody's super happy for that and how that event went off. So hats tip to those guys and looking forward to seeing that coming back sort of San Francisco institution next year. Absolutely. And I will say one thing that I do really like about some of the other uh, maybe less fancy events that Randy mentioned is 
Um, those allow drivers to go uh, oftentimes on kind of a different uh, different types of routes and road, uh, roads in an event like the melee. You can't really, you know, in good conscience, take a lot of these cars down these super crazy cow path middle of nowhere roads for a number of reasons. But on, you know, some of the more um, local events we do and, and for you guys listening in whatever state you might be in, uh, one of the reasons we love the stuff we do, uh, Motherload 500 or the, the fault line, um, is the organizers do a really brilliant job of, of getting out the, you know, the benchmark map or, or um, sitting down with the proper map material to really map out uh, a route that you would probably not know or do if you were just going on a weekend or Sunday drive on your own. Um, I mean, we love the mother load because the organizer, Josh, takes us uh, into the foothills and Yosemite and, and uh, across the mountains on these tiny little, not even, I mean, forest service roads. I mean, kind of many cases, not even secondary B roads, but like really roads to you wonder why they even were built because they're not even yeah. connecting two towns. Pretty incredible just so one guy can get his mail, the infrastructure surrounding all of that. So, yeah, you, you got you definitely got to have two hands on the wheel, be paying attention. But uh, I love getting out into, you know, beyond the middle of nowhere and uh, and exploring what, uh, you know, what the state has to offer. And, and those are the types of events where you really get out there. Man, you're firing me up right now. I got today's decision day. I got to figure out, like, send in my uh, application here, make things happen. But uh, it's good to have those milestones on the summer and spring calendar again. And I kind of want to get back into that. You know, hearing your story of the event last week, I really, no joke, was sitting at home being like, I'm missing out. I need to be out there. So, um, yeah, so I've got a car. I'm excited to bring Zach's got a uh, car he can uh, bring on out. Um, some exciting uh, new stuff, new challenges, and uh, frankly, I want to do more of the more of these and support these. I started branching out. That's one thing that happened before COVID is I kind of gave myself a little bit of a hey, try new events uh, thing. I told you about 06 at the California Melee, and I think I've run. I'm, I'm not nearly the most sort of veteran person there, but I think I've run five of those or six of those, something like that. Um, and a bunch of the other events in the area. And, uh, but I, you know, said it'd be cool to do something in other regions. So we always love to hear from the audience about other events. Whenever I hear of another event popping up uh, in the Rocky Mountains or in the Southeast or in the Northeast or wherever, um, I'd, I'd love to hear about it and learn about it and frankly go do it and try it out. And we have others on staff here that love to do that stuff too. So we have BAT shipping and want to ship the cars to wherever and go put the pedal down and go try this stuff out and meet new people. So, and um, I think there'll be many, many more of them in, in the future. Uh, Howard and I always look at each other as, as taking this as a little bit of a barometer of the health of why people are buying cars. What are they going to do with these cars? Uh, and Howard is always very quick to dive in and be like, things are oversubscribed, right? Like people want to get out, even forget COVID factors. Like people want to go see new things, have new experiences. And, um, and that's, always the favorite thing that drives uh, BAT buying patterns for me, right? Like I, I get it. A lot of people do, you know, investing or, or, you know, nostalgic buys or whatever, but the, the people that are like, I'm buying it because I'm going to go drive to XYZ or I'm going to go drive on XYZ event or race it or whatever that, that stuff fires me up so much. Uh, and I know it does you guys as well. So, yeah, so we talked about a couple of the other, uh, um, Events that are happening around here. There's one called, yeah, the Motherload. Uh, there's one called uh, the Fault Line that happens down in Central California. 
Um, and I know there's a couple out in the Midwest that are that are sort of burgeoning and, and have some some new following. Um, and um, yeah, anyhow, tons of other stuff. What other uh, things are cooking this summer, Zach? I know you're thinking of those too. Are there any others that are? That those are, are my you? two big ones on the agenda. Uh, I mean, I finally have a car of my own that's ready for it. That's been a little bit of work in process for a couple of years, and now I have what could be described as a cheater motor for an event like that. So. That's what you um, need, though. You need the cheater motor. Oh, right? man, that's what I need to keep up with you. You total psychopath out there. It's still, like, one of the craziest drives of my life is being behind you and your, what, 56 Julieta TI with your roof light. Oh, man. What yeah. tires do you have on yeah. that? We have a TI on the site right now. Did you, you guys saw that. I'm oh, sure yeah. There's a <laughs> TI in Rome, dude. It's a second gen like mine. Mine's actually a little later than that. That's uh, a uh, 60, I think. Mine's I 60, see. Okay. But it's... Uh, but driving that thing is fun. I ran with the Swig Brothers when you guys were driving your uh, your silver GTV. I That's remember right. driving through some back roads with you guys in that car. We had the whole BAT staff trying to keep Randy in sight, uh, uh, going through the corners on his Redestine 155 tires. That's right, uh, skinnies. You, you, you put on a clinic that morning on Mines Road, if I'm not mistaken, uh, here in the East Bay. So Mines that was, Road, that was fun. Livermore, yeah. California. That's for sure. That's an interesting one and a, and a good example of the kind of crazy roads that, that those events run on for those of you uh, who know that um, anytime you're on the Bay Area, you gotta look for that road. Um, so yeah, anyhow, event stuff, super cool. Thanks for the recap, Howard. Uh, I could talk Calmele and all those individual cars uh, for a really long time here. And maybe we can do that on, on another episode. The only Lancia D24 uh, I have ever seen in person was on the lawn at Pebble Beach and it was absolutely fantastic. And I'm still, I'm still not clear if it was one of those two that you had or one of cars three through six that you guys are referencing, but man, those things are really, really special. Um, and a long way from a Fulvia or a Lancia Delta, you know, just kind of the total opposite end of the Lancia spectrum. So cool. Well, let's get away from events a little bit. One other thing we definitely wanted to touch on uh, and talk about, it's been a big topic around here lately and a lot of cars going through the site uh, is um, tributes and replicas and kit cars and uh, heavily modified cars of one make made to look like another car of that make, uh, like some Ferraris do that, rebodies, these sorts of different things. Um, I came up with in the early days of VAT, like a matrix of what are we gonna call these things, right? Like, do you call it a, people would show up with the exact same car and one guy would call it a Shelby replica and one guy would call it a Shelby tribute and, uh, and then Cobra kits and all this sort of stuff. But I think it's an interesting world. Some, sometimes, you know, you, you uh, put your nose up at that and say, you know, I'd never drive a car that's not real or that's been messed with that much. Um, but I'm the first to say that I drove two Shelby replica cars, Shelby clones to high school. That's what I drove was fastbacks with stripes on them. And I thought they were the best thing ever. Um, I know Howard owns one of those right now. And a few other uh, folks on staff have some interesting cars like that. So what do you guys think of that whole universe? And when I say that even, what are the first cars that jump to mind? You know, it's a fascinating discussion and one that is uh, deserving of, of a probably more in-depth conversation that we, we'll give it. And I'm sure we'll revisit this topic uh, in, in more uh, podcasts in the future. Uh, my mind goes to two things on both ends of the spectrum. One is kind of uh, maybe what gives replicas a bad rap, you know, like Pontiac Fiero Base 250 GTOs and Excaliburs and stuff that um, maybe is not is not so wonderful. But um, uh <laughs> 
I also, the other part of me goes to, you know, replicas of the really great thoroughbreds. And that's a topic that I am a huge proponent of really well done clones, replicas, whatever you want to call them. If you are someone who, you know, loves those cars and they are so incredibly rare and valuable today, I think it makes a lot of sense to buy or build a replica of what you love because it's quite unlikely you will ever own the real thing. And if you can, you know, get 90% of the um, visual and driving experience for, uh, you know, 1% of the price, I think that's a, um, a pretty worthwhile trade. Um, things that stand out to me, you know, stuff like uh, Lynx, uh, Jag XKSSs, a number of which we've sold on BAT, something like a Crossweight and Gardener Type 35 Bugatti. Um, I mean, these are all really, I mean, people use room tool room copy. Um, we could probably have a whole separate podcast dedicated to what that exactly means, but um, I'm a big, yeah, I'm a big fan of all that stuff. And, you know, Randy was talking about guys that want to get up and drive their car. If you're someone who wants to drive a, you know, 250 TR or a Maserati 450S or whatever it might be, and you want to go race it at Goodwood or somewhere else. Um, I mean, for most folks, it makes a lot of sense to race, um, you know, something that is not hundred percent the real thing. And, and frankly, in, uh, in today's world, I don't know how many guys want to go take their 250 TR out onto the track. Um, and from kind of an entertainment and, um, you know, racing exhibition stance, um, the things are indistinguishable uh, most of the time. And, you know, dropping the green flag on a field of amazing cars, if some of them are, you know, not exactly the real deal uh, and, and they're not uh, being uh, purported to be that, I'm, I'm totally okay with that. And I think it actually adds a lot to the hobby. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, and I agree. And there's always, I don't know, growing up, you know, the Monterey historic races, there was this like, it has to be the real car to be there. But then you'd hear all these rumblings of, is it the real car that crossed the finish line? Or is it a rebody? Or is it whatever? Um, and I'm too distant from the insider circle to know the real ins and outs of how that works. But all I, uh, all I know is, yeah, I mean, I like that they keep a bar and a standard and, uh, and have a lot of the real stuff there. And also if, there's zero cars that remain anymore of a particular model or of a race winner. Um, it's probably better to have a replica that everybody knows is a replica than have nothing for sure. Um, I was just watching some coverage of a UK race this weekend called the Amon Cup, right? Mm. After Chris Amon, it's all GT40s, right? Because he was a big GT40 working driver. I think it was in Donington or something. This is what I waste my time on on social media, right? It's like not a waste of time. <laughs> Is like amazing, and I was at I was at Goodwood as well at the revival for the GT40 race. So there's there's 52 GT40s out on track, right? And I don't think that they're all real. They kind of claim that they're all real. They kind of don't claim that they're all real. There's certainly the spec is the right kind, right? There's not like bad ones, but there's um, there's some sliding scale of what is real and what is not. And I think that world is is interesting. You have to wade into it carefully, especially if you're sliding your credit card and buying one of those cars at auction or whatever, obviously you, you sort it out and get serious expertise there. But uh, I think there's some, uh, I mean, just the look of that race and the, the galleries they have of that. Uh, I mean, the car with the French flag down the spine, like it's just unbelievable, those guys running those and the Dorado and, and that sort of thing. I mean, there's a lot of interesting cars there uh, and how they verify that authenticity is, is, uh, it's whole other science, but so, okay. So that's sort of the heavy end and the motorsport end, but there's also people driving around, um, 
in, yeah, um, you know, different sorts of clones and tributes. I always called a tribute car one that was like aimed at a particular VIN number, right? Like if I had made my Shelby clone in high school look like the Pedro Rodriguez, you know, one red stripe, one green stripe R model, like you're going after one exact car that's like your dream, or you're going after the Dan Gurney NASCAR and you tribute to him and that car. Right, but a but a clone, I would say, was my cars, which were, you know, a '65 Fastback with stripes and scoops and torque press, and it's like it's kind of that whole genre. Um, so you kind of get into this language of what what are these? What the heck is a tribute? What is a replica? What is a clone? Some people really use them interchangeably, but I I try to be a little more intentional about that. What do you think about how to describe those? You've always instilled uh, strong opinions in us about clone, tribute, and replica, and our language on the site reflects that pretty heavily. So I'm in full agreement. I think the way you distinguish each three categories is uh, pretty excellent and spot on. But at the same time, it's hard to always manage that, right? I mean, who knows, right? I'm sure somebody has built a uh, tribute, call it, to that uh, TR2 you're just talking about, right? If they got a green TR2 and they paid 58 on the side, and uh, honestly, amazingly, those early cars, that's almost all the race prep that was done to those, other than maybe some sticky rubber, right? I mean, there wasn't a ton of uh, works, tricks, maybe a quarter-inch larger SU carburetor, right? I mean, it's just like... Unbelievable how similar some of those early cars were to series cars. Um, as you get later, obviously, if you're building a replica to a 962 Porsche or something, it's like a massive undertaking and not similar to any road car you'd ever talk about. But anyway, so there's there's all of that. But uh, to Howard's earlier point of you're never going to get the real, so what's the replica like? I mean, some of my favorite cars are, yeah, 550 Spiders. Seeing the real 550 Spiders go through the big auctions and be on track. Uh, the blue one that races at Monterey sometimes, all of them are silver, right? So the guy with the French blue one, it's just like ridiculously wonderful. That, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm never going to get it. You know, you just got to realize you're never going to get it. And so would doing the right kind of back maybe, or a 550 clone with an aluminum body with the proper 356 wheels instead of the bug hubcaps that like the, the rougher ones come with. Well, that's a good point. Well, how do you feel about uh, glass body versus totally. alloy you get, body? Yeah, you get into that, right? It's like, and honestly, it's price point. Like, am I going to be bummed out that some guy's ripping around in one with a fiberglass body and the wrong offset wheels and, and the you Subaru know, motor and the, the well, Subaru motor, motor and the like wrong steering wheel and all, all this stuff that obviously you can pick out that it's not an authentic car and not really even a very close replica. But that person stoked on it and they got it for nineteen five, and so they're out driving. At some point, you give that person a high five and you're stoked on it, right? Would it be the car that I buy? No, but uh, but you want to encourage people to be kind of pumped. Maybe that guy's saving up to get the right wheels on. Right? I have a hard time reconciling that myself because one of the cooler replicas I think we've had was, man, this is probably four or five years ago. We had a Beck 904 replica, which mm -hmm. we've only had a couple, and it had a Porsche 3.2 in it, mm -hmm. which is a pretty strong setup in that thing, and it would sound ridiculous, but in no way a clone or a tribute uh, and in the loosest sense, really a replica. Mm -hmm. I think those are cool though. I mean, somebody was making kits and sometimes they, it looks like more like a 240Z than it, than it does in the covered headlights. Yeah, you're just like, well, I don't know. Uh, or it looks like a VW Puma or whatever. You guys know what those are. We see those submitted. 
but uh yeah brazilian vws we're gonna have a next pod about that uh that uh, that 550 that you mentioned i know exactly the car you're talking about i think that's an ex jean Bayra car and yeah i went immediately to like replicas of 10 million dollar plus cars uh but really the, the more relevant discussion is all this other stuff and i mean if you're a guy who loves uh fastback mustangs or stepno's you know, GTVs, obviously you love GT350s and Shelbys and GTAs. And if you're a guy who loves, you know, 70s, 911s, obviously you love, you know, STRs and all the amazing factory limited production stuff. So doesn't it make a lot of sense that, you know, if, if you're not, um, you know, hell bent on, on 100% stock unmodified, that you would, you know, make an effort to prepare your car in the style of the very best, uh, you know, version of that car um, that everyone is always lusted after. I, I'm, I'm all for it. And uh, yeah, I, there, there's somewhere in between clone and tribute that's chalked up. They're kind of tastefully modified and obviously inspired by, um, you know, the best stuff. But um, all the Randy's buddies and, and uh, a lot of me and Zach's like have these cars they've prepared that are so sweet. And, and uh, I'm one that you walk up to a car that's, that's done up, uh, you know, in such a way. And most of the time I would probably take that over the, uh, over the maybe more frumpier GTV on, on steelies with hubcaps, uh, I'm describing the GTV I have. Uh, but uh, yeah, the, the, uh, the more I personally age into the market, uh, the more uh, accepting I am of that stuff and the more I like it. I love it, Howard. You brought up one of my favorite terms, a tastefully modified, which I don't think any owner is able to apply to their own car. It has to be someone else commenting on your car to call it tastefully modified. We get plenty of people submitting their car claiming it's tastefully modified, right? And, and a lot of this is like, uh, is like the parts discussion. People want to you know, make their cars look a certain way and, and you need the right parts. And whether you're talking about real you know, seven hour food. So whether you're talking about, you know, a 24 inch radiator or R model radiator for a 65, 60 fix fastback, um, it ain't so easy to just snap your fingers and, and, and build your dream car. Even if it's not the real thing, you still need in many cases, real parts. Um, and, and yet that's a whole other part of this, uh, this discussion is, um, you know, the composition of the car and, and what's original and what's not. Uh, in many cases, the car isn't quote unquote the real thing, but, it, it sure as hell has a lot of real rare parts on it. Well, that, uh, yeah, that segues pretty nicely to something Randy was talking about right before we started recording. How do you guys feel about Aston doing repop DB5s from the factory, um, basically as correct as possible, and then also reissuing parts for DB5 owners along with that? So, so they've they, done a couple, right? right? I think they're doing like a DB4 GT, and they're going to do like a dozen of them or, or whatever. And then they're doing a Bond car, right? So they're going to like capitalize on the you know, Daniel Craig resurgence of the, you know, original Connery silver bond car. Um, so those are fresh, brand new, every part brand new, roll it out and put their seal of approval on it. I don't know if it's actually out of an Aston factory or they're contracting like a specialist to help them build it. I don't, I don't really know. But those uh, those are interesting. And now you're starting to see them in the secondhand market. I think a couple of those Astons have now gone through auctions and stuff. Um, I mean, hey, everybody gets their own thing that they get to chase after. And again, if somebody gets that at half the price of the real one and that makes it happen for them, cool. I'm uh, just in a different state of mind to try to think about like a, a real car is four million bucks. So if all of a sudden a car for a million and a half is a deal or something, that's not the universe that I'm thinking about. But uh, I'm sure that that's how, you know, that goes into the math for some folks. And some folks want a really limited run and there's something appealing about brand new as opposed to 
you know, the card that's been rolled 11 times that you're paying millions of dollars for and has a rebody on it anyway, right? So, yeah, I think those are, I think those are interesting. What did, did JAG do some? I forget if JAG did a XKSS or if they were going to do a D or they were, they were going to do something. I think they started to, uh, Eagle started their E-type resto mod and yep. they got wind of that and there's those do it in-house. Yeah, there's some JAG restoration in-house. I know they do that and I love it when manufacturers do that. But yeah, so there's a few interesting sort of modern fresh out of the factory. And, and I think it's interesting to see, I saw a couple of them on their stands when, when I was at some European shows and um, yeah, not my thing to dive on right away. I'd probably rather have a real E-type than a fake D-type typically. That's how I think of things. Um, but we, I mean, there's, there's yeah, links and others building incredible race cars right now and, and fast road cars. Here's what I think is an interesting way of thinking about it. Uh, is there a new Aston Martin you would rather have today over a repop factory DB5? Oh, well, I'm a weirdo. So that's, yeah, I, I have no interest. No, in you're not weird at all. Have you seen any new Aston Martins? <laughs> There's one I saw that's like a highlighter color, right? That's like a crazy. It looks like the 240Z or the new 400Z concept, right? <laughs> that car. Yeah, definitely. So anyway, I, I like old stuff. Uh, that's just sort of my lot in life so yeah naturally i would rather but go people are chasing experiences now more than ever and i think people's eyes are starting to glaze over with each and next horsepower figure and zero to 60 time like that's that's basically at its peak so manufacturers rolling out more and more experienced cars like this like a ford you can go buy a new paycode crate motor what if they were doing repop panels and you could actually buy a gt350 new factory from the ford showroom yeah it's not from ford but i mean you can buy a full-on unibody for a 67 68 bath pack right yeah. and just start from scratch a lot of, of restaurant guys are building starting from there so uh anyway yeah that's a whole huge world of uh possibility frankly and and you know people are building cars like that or people are stoked on cars like that um anything you know i was at dw for a long time and anything the manufacturer would do that would point in the direction of heritage type stuff i was like high five you know do something don't don't just all you know uh, race to the bottom sedan, like same thing everybody has, and they're all you know sort of uh, competing in the same circles. Do something interesting. Do take some risks. Do some cool stuff. So if they do that, yeah, it's probably not for me, but I I sure wouldn't mind looking at one. And they probably fool me, right? I probably have been somewhere and looked and thought a car was real that was some sort of newer pop, and I got I got fooled like everybody else. So uh, they make some pretty close. Uh, tributes to what the old cars were. You had mentioned uh, E-Type Lightweights, one of my favorite cars from the 60s. And uh, man, most e uh, lightweights, semi-lightweights, talk about a controversial term, um, that are out there, maybe aren't the real thing, but man, that's that's like the ultimate spec for me for an E-Type. But and and for and I understand people are people are sensitive uh, about the originality topic, but for all these manufacturers that are embracing their heritage department, specifically Porsche, Mercedes, Aston, or three that come to mind that are probably doing it in the most intentional way, um, wouldn't you rather have reproduction parts for insert car here produced by the factory rather than somewhere else? And I think at the end of the day, that's very positive, and um, you know that adds a, a layer of authenticity to non-original but original type parts um so i'm a big i'm a big proponent of that and uh, i think the whole heritage movement um if you want to call it that is only going to get bigger and bigger um and i think that that is also a very uh, very good thing for the hobby yeah that's a that's a good one i love how you rattle those off you gotta get my coons on here who's the 
uh, Classic Center, Mercedes Classic Center down in SoCal, and he's kind of in charge of that uh, facility and that program. And I, I love it when manufacturers support vintage cars with parts and, and now events and all sorts of different things. And the fact that there are kind of enthusiasts within the uh, ranks of the uh, manufacturers is good for all of us, frankly, and is something that, that uh, you know, it always blew my mind when I was working on that Fintail Mercedes, which is another event veteran, dirt road veteran, um, that yeah, you could go to the you could go either to the dealer or the classic website and start like getting getting the pieces you need to keep that thing on the road, even though it was made in 1967. You know, um, that is cool. And yeah, Porsche is is expanding their classic departments and and facilities and and things you can do with the cars. So. We are huge fans of that at BAT, obviously. Hopefully that comes through here. Pretty much all of these types of experiments and investments in heritage and replicas and tributes and all this sort of stuff, as long as they are represented as such, right? The trick is if you ever get into this stuff where things are claimed real and they are not real, that's when you start to be like, shake your finger a little bit, uh, rightfully so. Um, you gotta, you gotta be honest about how things are either presented for sale or even just talked about in the broader um classic sphere but uh, i think on the whole most people do that and obviously we're on the watch for that that's a that's a paramount uh factor for us in listing cars yes this is another interesting topic we do cannot do justice to but uh yeah like you were saying I mean, everyone wants a car with great history but they also want a car with no stories and oftentimes you can't have both and write the story as part of the history and uh, the level of originality can very much be impacted by amazing period race history where the car was smashed and crashed and burned to the ground and rebuilt and uh, readied for the next race as quickly as possible using whatever parts were available to do so to make the grid so um yeah we'll have to we'll have to save that i, I have uh, a lot of opinions on that we'll have to save that uh, for, for another day oh i love it cool um so yeah right at the beginning i asked you like what cars do you think of uh or where your mind goes immediately when we start talking about replicas and tributes and that sort of stuff any other thoughts on that uh topic or anything we didn't cover or is that that pretty much covering oh man i i my mind jumps a little bit to the factory restorations that are taking place which goes in tandem a little bit with howard was saying with more and more heritage parts departments i don't know if you guys saw Nissan is starting to roll that out with the R34, which makes me particularly excited. But I think it's like at a 250k price point. So I don't know about that. Jack. that Tell us about that. Yeah, is that for the car? 250k out the door, or is the rest? I think it's process? 250 plus an R34. Mm. Um, so hopefully you can still leave it in Japan, and maybe it'll actually be ready in two more years when you can collect it and bring it back over here. Um, but yeah, I would love to see more Japanese manufacturers doing that. Although. They did a wonderful job of engineering their parts to last for uh, many, many life cycles, but it's still pretty frustrating when you have a part that's a rare item that's particularly tough to find. So yeah, I'm fully on board with that program. Our 34s are going to get very interesting. There's been a lot of chatter about that. I guess they released oh. some info about that and those cars are starting to sneak towards the 25 and we've got uh, we've got a, a few interesting ones in, in the pipeline so yeah, yeah. And, and our 33s have been strong on BAT and are ramping up but everybody i think i mean i'm i'm not the skyline fanboy that many folks are and zach can talk about those uh, in his sleep howard can too so uh, i think those are on the verge of starting to be u.s legal is that the truth yeah two more years uh, they'll start to be eligible for import though a lot of people are i think uh, buying buying real estate and storage spaces in japan 
huddling them up over there and then waiting to pull the trigger in two years. So it's pretty crazy just to see the prices that have moved in the last 12 months just over in Japan and the people that are storing them there and U.S. imports getting in on those games. So interesting to see. Sweet. You want to go down a real rabbit hole to answer the you know, question you just posed. Yeah, like mm-hmm. what other replicas, like like replicas of cars that the version was in itself kind of a kit car, uh, you know, amalgamation of parts uh, like a Myers-Manx you opened with. A lot of like the Manx style buggies. Like I actually like how some people feel those more than a real Myers-Manx. Just I think it looks cooler. Um, or Devins or all this H modified stuff from the fifties or Kellisons. Mm. Uh, I mean, that that's a real deep cut on, uh, you know, when these cars get rebuilt and resurrected um, from whatever the original spec was. Uh, yeah. Who, who's to say what's, you know, what's right and wrong when, when you really get into some of these corner cases. Uh, I don't know if I want to own a Myers Manx, but then again, I've never actually driven one. And I think, you know, if I lived on the beach, maybe I, maybe I'd feel differently. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you uh, mentioned Kellison. Little known facts. I think you know this. We talked about this in the office, but um, the Duke of Richmond, is that his current title? The gentleman who runs all of Goodwood, basically owns the whole ranch. Uh, he bought a Kellison off of BAT. Nice. Silver, red stripes, numbers on the door. And he made a video about it in his collection that he bought it off this little website in America called Bring a Trailer, and he says it with his British accent, and, and I saw it when I was out there, and it's a legit story, and kind of knocked my socks off a little bit. That's kind of a huge name drop to drop uh, 47 minutes into the podcast, but he uh, awesome. he had, or still has, that car, and he's he's a cool dude because he's, in, he's into hot rodding and that sort of stuff, and that's a kind of hot rodders sports car from the 50s and early 60s, right? A fiberglass body that gets drop shipped to your house, and you figure out the motor, you figure out the drivetrain, totally. You figure out the the uh, you know Halibrand wheels that are going to fit somehow. You saws all the uh, wheel openings to fit whatever Goodyear poly glasses you're going to put on it, and go. If you, you couldn't know. afford an Aller J two, you go go buy a Kellison and totally. make moves. Totally right. Um, anyway, super interesting stuff like that. I always love seeing, and those are are those replicas. I'm not really. I mean, they're kind of a offshoot of other similar looking sports cars that were more production built right but they are uh usually called kits or kid cars or or whatever they are and man that we could do a better job frankly of, of like creating an own category of that on BAT because just there are so many stories there's been a couple you know forgotten fiberglass is, a, is an interesting website where there's just stories about all those weird one-off hand formed, you know, uh, fiberglass specials. And those could be talked about in, in again, we keep saying how many, how many other conversations we could be having, but I love those cars. Some of them look pretty crazy, but the arrow factor of the Kelsons meant they showed up at Salt Flats and some other cool places. So, uh, lots of, uh, interesting stuff to talk about on those. I'm glad you brought them up. Hey man, in the fifties, people were on the big Ferraris, they were chopping them up and putting in small block Chevy engines and rear ends and running them around Riverside and, um, you know, that, that's, uh, that's a pot for another day. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, anyway, great stuff. Uh, excited to get out to a couple of events. Howard, glad you survived in one piece and are back, um, from the melee. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting summer, everybody. So, uh, reach out to us with cool events that are inspiring for you. And, uh, I still want to do the podcast from like on location somewhere. I'd love for us to be getting out of our cars 
uh, wiped out after the day uh, in one piece and uh, talking about, you know, the random uh, miles we just put on and what the roads and what the cars were like. I think that would be a, a fun way to do I want some in-car with the TI at six grand and you whipping back on my road. Oh, man, the rattly doors on the TI. You need like four arms to, to keep everything, you know, in one piece. I don't know if I'd have an arm available for the microphone and the, uh, the sound levels on the podcast. <laughs> Or if you could hear it over the, uh, yeah, the screeching of the uh, Registines on that car. But um, we could try it. We are up for all sorts of creativity. So anyway, thanks for joining us. Fun conversation with you guys, as always. Um, and hit us up at podcast at bringatrailer.com. Uh, if you have any other suggestions, uh, and shoot us a note or leave a comment right on the uh, podcast announcements. And we will have some more fun topics to talk about. Thanks. Talk to you later.